What's new listeners? I'm Arthur Howell, the host of Two Cents Critic. If you're on the mood for reviews of books, movies, and TV shows, then join in. Today, we're going to be covering the new Netflix action-adventure heist movie Red Notice, starring Dwayne Johnson, Gal Gadot, and Ryan Reynolds. And basically, this is a movie that follows the three of them, because uh, Dwayne Johnson, he plays the FBI criminal profiler John Hartley as he's trying to capture Nolan Booth, played by Ryan Reynolds. He's a, like a, a master art chief and he's trying to he's going on he's going on this mission to steal the the eggs of Cleopatra, these three bejeweled eggs. And but that but then uh, Booth ends up get, getting shown up by the bishop, another art chief played by Gal Gadot. And on top of that, she ends up framing Hartley for for stealing for steal, trying to steal the eggs, and this forces Hartley and Booth to to form to form a partnership so that they can capture the bishop, clear Hartley's name, and help uh, and help Booth regain his reputation as the world's most wanted art chief. And and the reason this movie is called Red Notice is because. Red no- is because a, a red notice has been put put out for Booth, and 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 it's supposed to be basically like a, an arrest warrant. And trivia fact, I actually thought that red notice was just a, a fake term. It was something just just ripped up for the movie, but it is actually a real thing that Interpol ha- hands out to the world's most wanted. And in fact, a, a definition I was able to I was able to do research on it says that. The definition is a request to law enforcement worldwide to locate and provisionally arrest a person pending extradition, surrender, or similar legal action. But then, the definition goes on to say that a red notice is not an international arrest warrant. So that does seem kind of uh, contradictory, because it sure, does, it sure does sound like an arrest warrant, but whatever. Anyway, so, uh, get, getting back to the, the movie itself, if I were to use one term to describe this, I think it would be inoffensively middle-of-the-road. And just looking at the Rotten Tomato scores, because as of the time of this recording, the critic score is 35%, while the audience score is 92%. And I think that's very fitting, because watching this movie, it feels very much like the kind of movie where if you're just a casual viewer looking for a good old blockbuster to pass time, I think honestly it's you know it, it's pretty enjoyable. I think it can you can just click your brain off and just watch, you know, Dwayne Johnson and Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot go on to high shenanigans. And I think that, you know, it, the, the issues in the movie wouldn't be annoying for for the audiences for the casual viewers. Whereas if you're a critic, you can't help but to nitpick over the flaws of the movie, and even my, even and even you know, for me personally, I had issues with some of the writing, which I'll which I'll get into in the in this review. And you know, I, I I can understand why there's such a why there's such a huge gap between the 35% for critics and the 92% for audiences. And something, and a pattern I'm starting to notice for the content that I'm re- that I'm reviewing on this podcast is it started with Coda, Coda on Apple TV Plus, a movie that I loved very much, 
even as is, even as is, wielded all the cliches for the family drama, for, for like a family dramedy. And I enjoyed it very much. And then we move on to Finch, also now for TV Plus, another movie that hits all the beats of the post-apocalyptic genre. And that was a movie I en- enjoyed. Although again, if you listen to the episode I did on that with Liam Garrow, I admitted that it didn't have the extra oomph that I felt was Coda. And even, you know, obviously, if you, again, if you listen to the episode, you know, Liam did not care for the movie at all. <laughs> Which I can understand. And, 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 now, and now we move on to Red Notice. Yes, another, another movie that has no desire to be anything more than formulaic. It is completely satisfied with hitting all of the heists, you know, kind of like action comedy beats. And, you know, I, I, I'd be okay with, I'd be okay with that. But, in the end, I did have issues, again, with, with writing. Just, and I can't really uh, get into the deep, deep detail, because then I'd be heading into spoiler territory. But, just with the way that the characters progress and then the, where they end up, and I'm kind of confused as to who the protagonist is, and then with the way that the movie wraps up, feels quite contrived, and I, I, and obviously this is, is all meant to be set up for a sequel. And actually, on that note, there are going to be two sequels that are in development, and they'll be shot back to back. And just when I, when I heard that news, honestly, I did kind of just groan to myself because it's just like, uh, like w- w- one sequel is understandable, but re- do we really need two sequels? I feel like that's, that's kind of overkill. And yeah, but th- this whole movie it just feels like a, feels like a, a very slick affair, and if and, and everything that you see in this movie has already been done in other, you know, much better movies. For me personally, I was thinking of like you know Ocean's Eleven, and National Treasure, and Indiana Jones, and it it it, it, it actually has quite a few very blatant references to a few of those movies, and I'm just like, okay, you're making me again, you're making me think of all of these better examples, and I kind of wish I was just watching them at this moment. And then when it comes to the stars, I actually enjoyed all of them in this movie. I know I've been seeing, you know, some of the uh, some of the reviews and thoughts that other people have had about this movie and how I, I you know they can get tired of you know all three stars in this movie. Personally, I personally I actually found all of them to be quite charismatic. You know, Dwayne Johnson. You know, I, I always enjoy seeing him, even though his character is kind of one-dimensional. There isn't much to Hartley, and then, again, without getting into spoilers, but just the way that Hartley progresses and throughout the movie feels kind of befuzzling to me. But still, I still enjoy, I still enjoy seeing The Rock, you know, just, just bringing on his charisma and all his superhuman muscles. And then Ryan Reynolds gets to dole out a whole, a whole bunch of, you know, irreverent quips throughout the movie, you know, just... He, uh, you know, for, for for a lot of his movie, he, he does he does fall back on the smart alecky stick, and whether it's like you know Deadpool or Detective Pikachu or just basically any any of his movies, 
and I, I'm, a, I'm okay with that personally. I've actually kind of, uh, I've actually kind of, you know, come around to Ryan Reynolds. He's kind of grown on me over over the past few years. Not that I ever actively disliked him, but I just didn't, didn't particularly care for his brand of comedy. But I've come around to him in the past few years, and it was it was even there's a one joke I, I won't spoil the whole thing, but there's one joke about about Vin Diesel in this movie. That I enjoyed very much, and just yeah, I'll be getting a little deeper into that in the spoiler section. And then uh, it, it's also really nice, really nice to see Gal Gadot kind of you know play play against type in this movie because normally I'm used to see, I'm used to seeing her as Wonder Woman as I offense. And in this and in this movie, I think she does a good job at kind of like give, giving an over the top performance. As this, you know, kind of mustache twirling cross between an art thief, a hacker, and a femme fatale. I will admit, though, I didn't feel much chemistry at all between Dwayne Johnson and Gal Gadot. The movie was trying to build up some sizzle between them, but I never felt really any of that at all. And it's funny because I've actually heard that the that Jungle Cruise also tried to pose as a try to pose tries to pose. The Rock as a romantic lead against Emily Blunt, and from what I've heard, pe- people didn't really take kindly to that either. So I don't know. I I, I just feel I, I just feel like maybe Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson can't really work as a romantic lead in that sense. You know, I just feel like he he he's charming, but you can't really build that much steam around him, perhaps. And so, again, in Red Red Notice certainly didn't work for the for the chemistry that the movie was trying to portray between him and Gal Gadot. Although I did like the, 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 com- the comedy between uh, between Zubak and Ryan Reynolds. I think that, I think, I think the banter was definitely top-notch. It just makes me wonder how much of it was ad-libbed. Because I know that if you're, if you're, if you're working with, with, with Ryan Reynolds, he's gonna be imp- improvising with a whole bunch of quips. And I know that even for D- Detective Pikachu, he I guess he he spent a whole bunch of time cursing in the recording booth because they'll just let him kind of go off and just say all of and just come up with all of these lines, but a lot of them were unusable because he would be constantly swearing. And I've even heard that I've even heard that there's a a blooper reel for a red notice, which you can actually actually access by pausing on a scene in a movie and on and onto the scene there's a QR code and if you scan it then it brings you to the blooper reel for Red Notice. And so I, I haven't seen I haven't seen that yet, but from what I've heard apparently Ryan Reynolds curses quite a bit in the in the reel. Now there's also the issue of all the green screen that the movie utilizes. And just especially right now I'm thinking specifically of a bullfighting scene where you can just clearly tell that Dwayne Johnson and Ryan Reynolds are acting against the green screen, against, uh, the, and you can just tell the arena around them, and and the, the ball itself is just absolutely fake. And I acknowledge that this movie did have trouble with COVID, and like I, I know that I, I know the film got shut down in Italy for a time, and then in November of 2020, they were able to go back to Rome and Sardinia for a week to shoot some some scenes. But other than that, this movie was pretty much shot, I think, on a, on a soundstage in Atlanta. And 
you can feel that. You can you can feel how inauthentic the settings are, and I think it just makes you it makes you truly appreciate the practicality of the sets that actors get to get to use in, say, like you know, Christopher Nolan. Like you know, watching watching Tenet is enjoyable partially because of the sets. Like you know, he was he was shooting his movie in all of the real locations. There was very you know obviously like I've said before, very little CGI for Tenet, which is stunning. I mean, yeah, stunning. Again, even the 747 just cra crashing the 747 into the freeport. That was all real. It still amazes me to this day. And I would I would also say watching Red Notice it also makes me appreciative of the CGI and the uh, MCU movies because when I'm watching the MCU movies I'm not constantly thinking to myself ooh that's you know that's some rough green screen in the background or ooh that's some crude CGI I'm just no I'm just watching the movie and often enjoying the story I'm not constantly thinking about the CGI and how it needs another rendering whereas I saw that in Red Notice. Which is stunning, considering that this movie was made on a budget of two hundred million dollars. Because Netflix, it, it was Universal that was making this movie, and then they sold off the distribution rights to Netflix. I mean, seriously, couldn't you have, uh, couldn't you have upped the quality of the CGI on a budget of two hundred million? I know from what I've heard, reportedly they gave twenty million dollars or or more to each of the three stars in this movie. So couldn't you just set aside a bit more of the moolah for the visuals? And this movie was written and directed by Varsin Marshall Thurber. And this is actually his third collaboration with Dwayne Johnson. Because the first collaboration was Central Intelligence, starring Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart. And then the second collaboration was Skyscraper which is basically a, a mashup between Die Hard and The Towering Inferno. Before those movies though, Serber actually focused on comedies. He was the writer and director of Dodgeball, a true underdog story. He was also the director for Where the Millers, starring Jason Sudeikis and Jennifer Aniston. And apparently he was also rumored to replace Edgar Wright as the director for Ant-Man. However, he turned down the opportunity to do that. And then, and then he also, and then of course, you know, Central Intelligence came up next, and then Skyscraper, and now Red Notice. And apparently, he's also going to direct the movie adaptation of Ubisoft's game series, The Division, which will star Jake Gyllenhaal and Jessica Chastain. So, he's made, he started out with comedies, and now he's made the transition to action blockbusters. And, I mean, you know, from what from what what I, what I can tell, these, these movies are making tons and tons of money now with these these blockbusters. But it seems like you know these latest movies, Red Notice, Red Notice especially, are pretty mediocre. Obviously, though, Netflix doesn't care about that because of all of the reviews they've gotten. Apparently, because Dwayne Johnson, he just, he recently just just tweeted again at the time of this reporting, he tweeted about the movie reaching 150 million viewers on Netflix. So again, you know that that's why this movie does have a, a score of 92, uh, an audience score of 92 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. But you know it's just that it, it's just that there is such there is that massive gap between the superficial enjoyability and the core quality of the movie. So with all that being said, I'm going to give Red Notice a wind-up score of 55 out of 100. 
it's again it's it's a perfectly fine movie you know you, you can put it on and watch it and you know have sort of a good time with it but in the end it's not going to be nearly as memorable as national treasure oceans 11 or other competitors and you know i'll watch the i'll watch the other sequels when they come out but i just won't be expecting that much out of them all right so now i've given my spoiler free thoughts on the movie so now I'm going to be diving into the plot breakdown. So if you don't, if you don't want to listen to that, if you haven't seen the movie, then you can stop the podcast now and go watch it. But if you don't care about spoilers or if you have seen the movie, then you can stay right here. Now, when the movie starts off, we have this we we have this history clip showing how Mark Anthony gave Cleopatra these three bejeweled eggs as a wedding gift. And as the clip plays on, I was like. This sounds like actually the clip, the kind of clip you would see in a in a museum, and then the screen the screen pulls back, and I'm like, yep, it is a museum history clip, and you know, just to give us you know the narration to help us get into the movie, and then we also see Ryan Reynolds, he's playing Nolan Bruce, and he is 3D printing a fake egg, and then we and then we and, and it's funny because wa- watching this. It's a pretty long, like, you know, you're, you're watching all the, the opening credits, and even just this whole scene, and then with, with the Red Notice title card, it gives the feel of a, 90s, of a 90s action movie. And then we cut to Rome, where Dwayne Johnson's John Hartley has gotten, a, he's got, has gotten a tip that Bruce is going to steal an egg that's at the museum there, and, he has got, and Hartley has gone to the museum with Interpol Inspector Das, played by Ritu Arya, and 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 then we and then so Hartley is he's inspe- he he's inspecting the egg, and then he apparently use, he uses a thermal camera tablet to find to to learn that the egg is reflecting uh, the egg is absorbing all of the heat, but however he says well it's it's made out of it the egg is made out of eighteen karat gold so it should reflect the heat not absorb it. So then he just he, so then he asks for his kids can of Coca Cola and just pours it all over the egg in order to melt it and prove that it's fake. And at this moment, I was just thinking to myself, really would Stella do that? Like I I, I know it has the corro- it, it does have a corrosive quality, and you even hear about the tests, you know, to show how to show how much soda can erode erode materials by putting a tooth. In a, in, in, you know, like a, in a glass of soda, and then the tooth will slowly break down over time. So that so and, and and I think even soda can be used to to get out stains, but I'm but I'm not sure if you just if you just, just pour the soda over the egg, would it really just disintegrate that quickly? I feel like you would have to put the egg, you know, just dunk it in soda, and give it some time at least for 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 it to deteriorate. But I also acknowledge, you know, that this is the movie trying to, you know, wow us with the visuals of this egg, you know, being destroyed, and it's like, oh no, what's happening? This leads to Hartley chasing Bruce, because Bruce is in the museum, and then he tries to escape with the egg in his satchel, and, and then this builds brought up to a fight between Bruce and some guards. And I will say, like, here's the thing about this opening fight. I like the mechanics of the fight itself. And just the way that they're fighting on the scaffolding, 
and we usually see like a god, a god falling off the scaffolding, but he just falls into a net. And I, I would say like this is this sort of movie where pretty much where, where pretty much no one dies. Like none of n- none of the FBI or the Interpol or the guards, you don't actually you don't actually see anyone die. They're just kind of all just like shoved out of the way or just you know kind of pushed down or they 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 just manage to dodge to to dodge bullets and the gunfire. But no one ever actually, like you know, gets their head cut off. What none of them actually, none of them actually fall. You know, they don't plummet to their deaths, which is kind of, kind of, kind of strange. I'm, I'm kind of used, I'm kind of more used to the movies that pull that crap. But I'll admit, I'm kind of, I'm kind of okay with this kind of innocent, toned down violence. And then, but, but the other thing, what I said, I, I like the mechanics of the, of the scaffolding fight. The camera is, the camera work. It's so sharpy. It's just the cinematography. It's just cutting back and forth, and it's just it, and it's making it disorienting for me to watch the the fight, and it's hard for me to tell like where the characters actually are and what's falling and such. And I wish that the camera had been able to move more smoothly. And it's disappointing, especially after coming off of Shang Chi, which had amazing fight sequences. And the camera just moved so flu so so fluidly, and then we and then I, and then I'm moving on to Red Notice, and here's a movie and here's a camera, it's just so jarring to watch, and then we have a confrontation between Hartley and Bruce, and we got we got Bruce doling out some quips here. A, a favorite of mine is when he's noting the leather jacket that Hartley is wearing, and he's like, somewhere out there is a nude cow going, was it? The chase continues until Bruce steals an electric bike, and he ends up getting away because Hartley then steals a Porsche, but then he gets rammed by but then he gets rammed by this other car, and letting Bruce escape. And I gotta say, I actually enjoyed this because because it it allows a moment where Hartley is able to be inco- just a little incompetent. You know, he's not perfect, and I feel like typically like Dwayne Johnson. In his roles, he's always supposed to be the, 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 ma- the master of, of everything. He's always he, he's always a cr- he's always a crack at whatever he's doing, whether he's in a fight or in a chase or just anything. And so watching this scene, was like, oh, he's not perfect. He actually screwed he actually screwed up this time. It's nice, you know. Makes this feel just a little more realistic, especially since you know whenever you wa- whenever we're watching these kind of chases, it's always like. Oh, you know, the, they're always driving so always driving so smoothly and able to just veer around the corners without hitting anything. And then this time it's like, nope, he just makes a blunder here. And then we move on to Bali, 56 hours later. And these title cards, by the way, also add, add on to the 90s action vibes. This is where Hartley and Das conduct an Interpol raid on, uh, on Bruce in his secret hideout, and we got Hartley doing some psychoanalyzing of Bruce, which, which I didn't realize just until later on, but but looking back on the scene, I was like, oh, this is Hartley doing his profiling, because he's supposed to be a criminal criminal profiler, and he's saying that, and he's saying that Bruce is the kind of person who wants to get caught so that he can escape, because he's been, cap- because he has been captured before, and he's escaped multiple times, and that he's doing it in order to prove he's, he's, he's worthy of his father's love. And I like the bit here with William Strang's lady with a red hat and Bruce claiming he got it on Etsy. And then we learned that 
Hardly and Donald were able to capture Bruce because the bishop because the bishop snitched on him, and now the bishop avoids to his Galgado. And apparently, I I also learned that uh, from looking up research about the movie, the the bishop's name is Sarah Black, but I don't know where that came from because I don't recall Sarah Black being said any, anywhere in the movie. I mean, listeners, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've I've only seen the movie once, so I mean, if you do know where they say where they say her name then please tell me, because I'd like to know. Otherwise, you know, I, I thought that she was only known by the alias, the bishop. And then also, in the background of the scene, you can see Aviation American Gin. That's, that, that's the alcohol brand owned by Ryan Reynolds. He's actually, he, he's drinking the gin in the scene. And, I mean, it, it's, not, it's not that annoying, because it's, it's actually not as blatant as it could have been. It is pretty subtle. But also, it's kind of like, did you really need the product placement here? And even for later on, because uh, you, because later on in the movie, it also features uh, Dwayne Johnson's Terramana Tequila. And again, it's just like, did you, need to, did you need to present product placement for both of these celebrities alcohol brands? I don't know, it just felt kind of extraneous. Now, I also want to cover this a bit more by bringing Last Action Hero into the mix. Because in that movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger is a star. So then, when the movie brings up uh, the Terminator in the world of Last Action Hero, it's, it's uh, Sylvester Stallone who plays the Terminator, not Schwarzenegger. So, so in the world of Red Notice, because Dwayne Johnson and Ryan Reynolds are in this movie, and because they're both drinking Aviation Gin and Terramana Secula, who owns those brands in this movie? Uh, I don't know. For, for me personally, I would pick uh, Jason Momoa. I think he, I think he would be a perfect fit for owning Terramana, and then for aviation, I think it would be Melissa McCarthy. If you have any thoughts of your own as to who would own these brands, please add me or email me. Then Hartley stows the she recovered egg in the truck, and but then we but then we realize that the guy who is there is act is actually the bishop, and. She ended up replacing the egg, and I also knew that she was hiding beneath the truck before that revealed. Subsequently, Hartley gets framed by the bishop because, of, according to Doss, when, when she meets him, he doesn't exist, and $8 million was transferred to a Swiss bank account registered in his name, and the egg, he, and the egg that he brought back is appa- is, apparently is fake, and, and then Doss, and then Doss is like, well, because you betrayed me, I'm going to I'm going to ship you off to a maximum security prison in Russia as revenge, and I'm and I'm just like, okay, I'm not quite sure that's how the legal system is supposed to work. I feel like you're just supposed to send off the send off convicts to whatever prisons are available for them, not whatever prisons suit your desire for retribution. In the prison, hardly ends up having to room with Bruce. And the two of, and the two of them get into some trouble because, you know, like like Bruce, Bruce, uh, Bruce is like, I won't tell them you're a cop. Hey everyone, this guy is not a cop. And he's just saying this in the cafeteria for everyone to hear. Which leads up to one of the prisoners dumping a Hartley's bowl of smushy oatmeal into his lap, and then the, and then Bruce's bowl of oatmeal into Hartley's lap next. And then the guy is actually able to kind of beat up Hartley, which is again funny because Dwayne Johnson 
has that clause in Fast and Furious. In fact, everyone does in those movies. That's why you can't ever lose in a fight. So it's just funny watching uh, Dwayne Johnson have to lose a fight here. And the line when Bruce is like, two birds, one egg. I actually kind of like that as well. And then we also we learn that whoever brings all three of the eggs of Cleopatra to this Egyptian billionaire buyer so that he can give them to his daughter for, as, a we- as a wedding gift because his daughter is also named Cleopatra. Whoever, whoever gives them the eggs will get $300 million. And so that's, so, so that's Bruce's plan. And we also learned that he's planning to steal his second egg from a, fi- from a private collection owned by arms dealer Soto Forge, played by Chris Diamantopoulos. And they kind of have, they kind of have a, a weird backstory with this guy because apparently he, he, he got strangled by, he got strangled a lot by his dad and then he ended up killing his own father and now, and now Roche just loves strangling people to death and he has kind of like this raspy voice. It was kind of weird. I was, I was, I wasn't really all in on raspiness, and I think it's because it's supposed to be because he was he got strangled a lot by his father, but it it did kind of bug me a bit, and also kind of fu- funny that they make this whole thing about strangling because I feel like, I feel like you know there are, there are worse ways to go down. I mean it's not it's not like Sado and Tennis threatening to cut off the protagonist's balls and then make a slice in his throat and shove the balls. Sh- into that slit so that he can choke on his own balls. <laughs> I mean, honestly, even that, I feel like I feel like even that is pretty gruesome, especially for a, a Christopher Nolan movie. But then here in Red Notice, it's just like, oh, you know, strangling. You know, even though, I'm, again, I'm not minimizing the pain that comes with with being strangled. It's just that because you know when you're st- when you're being strangled, it does take a while for you to die. And then for, as a person who is strangling, you have to actually. You know, you have to you have to hold you have to strangle them for a long time because you can't just hold them long enough in order to cut off your oxygen supply so that they faint. So you have to, you actually cut off your oxygen supply long enough for them to actually die. And I think it takes maybe like eight or nine minutes for that to happen. So you have to strangle the victim for a long, long time. And I think that I think that's why I personally believe that people who are capable of doing that are just Incredi- incredibly cold and cruel, because you know if, you, if it, it, it's one thing if you it's one thing if you just if you just shoot someone, or you know if you slice someone's throat, but if you actually like strangle someone, and you have the willpower and the strength to just hold onto their neck for eight or nine minutes, then that means you are pretty ruthless. So I mean yeah I I guess I I guess maybe I'll I'll, I'll take back a bit of what I said that strangulate the strangulation isn't as violent as other methods. I mean, it's actually pretty, it's actually pretty, pretty vicious if you think, if you think about it. So anyways, back to the prison segment of Red Notice. Uh, there's also a bit where Bruce and Hartley are working in the kitchen and they're both wearing hairnets and Bruce asks why Hartley is wearing a hairnet when he's bald. Definitely feels like an ad lib. And then we also have the revelation that the bishop is the captain of the prison. And we learned that she was the one who had, who had, who had framed, uh, who had framed Hartley, and he had sent the money to the account, and he had erased, erased his FBI file, and apparently she was, she, I, I kind of, I kind of liked the flashback when she was watching the Great British Baking Show. I mean, again, more, more, more Netflix product placements, but 
it's just kind of nice to see a moment where she's just sitting back and relaxing and just eating, eating some snacks and wearing some pajamas, if I recall correctly. After all, even the most wanted criminals have to enjoy some downtime, right? And the bishop offers for Boots to join to join her and help in stealing the eggs, and he can have ten percent of of the profits. But he turns down the offer, and so she leaves both him and Hardly in prison. And then and and then we have a scene into a cell where Boots is opening up about the dysfunctional relationship he had with his cop father, who was just you know pr- just pretty much an asshole to him and accused him of stealing his prized watch, even though Booth didn't actually do that. And, you know, we find out that once once his father d- did find a watch, like, it wasn't stolen, it was just, he just lost it. He never even apologized to Booth. And, 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 then that's, and then that's why Booth didn't talk to him again after, after that. And I feel, I feel like this, was, this, is a, this is a moment when, when the movie is trying to get you to care for the characters. And put, it didn't really work work that much on me. I feel like these characters are the friendly written types you would expect from a typical action blockbuster. I did like I did like when Hartley pretends to fall asleep, and Dwayne Johnson actually improvised that, and then Ryan Reynolds improvised his reaction to Hartley falling asleep. And then next up is the is the classic prison escape. We've got apparently Bruce makes his soap, which is pure glycerin with cleaning solution, which is basically nitric acid to make ni- nitroglycerin and set off an explosion. And then, and then apparently, and then Bruce pickpockets the guard's ID, and then he pulls out a rock to open the wall that he and Hardly had built earlier. And again, this is all very tropey, like I, I'm, I, I was even watching this and I was like, wait, is that a thing that the, that prisoners even do anymore in real life? Like. They build, like they build, they do the labor. I I know labor is a thing, but like, do they actually build parts of the prison? Because I'm I'm just like I'm not sure that prisoners should be trusted with something as as important as that as like building up these walls. I mean, what I w- I would think that that would be pr- that would be prime time for them to be able to create escape routes and then the scaling along the exterior wall and and then uh. Ryan Reynolds does have a line here where he's like, "Does the back of your head look like a huge penis?" And it just kind of fell flat for me. That that was one of the few underwhelming lines in this movie. And then they're making their way to a helicopter to escape, and they they, they knock they have to knock out a guard who is liking photo, photos of Putin. And it was just funny to see that because it's like even seeing a photo of Vladimir Vladimir Putin riding a horse shirtless. And I'm just like, oh wow, you're a guy who just loves to show off your masculinity. Whether it's on the internet, or in calendars. And then they do run into some trouble with guards and gunfire, and a rocket launcher, but Bruce is able to make it onto the helicopter first, and then Hartley, after having to deal with a collapsed bridge, is able to leap on- onto the helicopter just at the final moment, and and, ha- and Hartley is mad that Bruce was gonna leave him, and they're arguing about whether or not Hartley actually told Bruce to go save himself, and and then and, and then Bruce was like, "I would have gone with you in my heart," <laughs> and and then and then, the, and then we have a shot where there's a second rocket that launches, and it and Hartley is able to kind of jump out and open a door so that the rocket shoots straight through the helicopter. 
and I'm and I'm just like, okay, only a superhuman could have achieved that. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, Dwayne Johnson's totally up for something like that. But I'm just like, yeah, either Dwayne Johnson or someone like Tom Cruise. Other than that, I'm just like, yeah, anyone else, you know, anyone else would have fallen or they wouldn't have been able to open the door fast enough. Yeah. <laughs> but of course, you know, this is an action blockbuster, so I suppose we can expand our perception of plausibility a bit. And now, and then we cut to London, where the bishop is kind of having a pseudo-therapy session with an intelligence analyst. And this was actually a really fun scene to watch. I think Gal Gadot is able to just play around a lot here as, as you know, she, as the bishop is just, you know, unleashing all of her anxieties on this poor guy who's just, you know, taped up in this chair. And then the bishop uh, alerts Das. She, she, get, she gives her an alert about Hartley and Bruce. And, and I'm just like, Bishop, why are you constantly contacting Das? Is this really necessary, especially with the way this movie ends? I feel like it was kind of contrived for for the bishop to keep learning Das as to you know as everyone's whereabouts. And also, I'm just like, also, isn't Das suspicious at all about this intel coming from the bishop and thinking, hey, you know, maybe she has a vested interest in this situation? And then the analyst. He ends up using the foot alarm, and the guard comes in, but then the bishop trips him, and then she threatens the analyst, and it's like, I, I, know, I, I know everyone you love and work with and your family, I know where you all live, and I also know your browser history, and I've seen that exact same joke so many times by now that I feel like it's kind of tiresome at this point. Then we cut to Hartley and Bruce taking a private plane to Valencia, and the, and the pilot's at Tamway, says, no juice boxes for you, because hardly is FBI, kind of like the super Nazi going, no soup for you. And then Bruce is explaining how he'll break into Soto Roche's vault, vault, and and he's like, we'll sneak past the featured extras, which is a, which is a meta joke that, that gives off Deadpool vibes. And then he's like, we'll steal his precious, in a golem voice. And then inside the vault, Bruce just does this little roll, and Hardy and Hardy's like, "You're amazing," and the whole fantastical tone of this scene that's playing as Bruce is explaining the plan to Hardy. It it kind of reminds me a bit of Ant Man actually, specifically the energy of the Michael Pena scenes when he's passing along all the gossip. Then Bruce shows a shows Hardy a deep fake app that he can use to get the facials and the voice for Solo Roche. So they can get past the facial and voice recognition for the vault, and then he and then he's like, "I can make a video of you mouth sexing a, a goat, as long as long as I have enough pictures." And then he just takes a bunch of pictures of Hartley <laughs> with the tablet. And then in Valencia, you're at the masquerade ball at Solo Roche's place, and then this is the scene where when Hartley, so when he hands the security, and it, when he hands security an invitation, it has a QR code on it. And basically that's where, if you pause the scene and scan it, that's when it brings you to the blooper reel. And, and I just found out actually that the, that the, that the reel is actually out on the internet. Like, it's on Twitter and such, and so I'll, I'll, I'll be watching it after this podcast. And then, so I also learned that when, when Roche is talking with two, with two, with two guys in front of the fireplace in the scene, so he's, he's speaking in Greek, and it was just coincidental because 
Chris Diamantopoulos, the actor who's playing him, is also Greek, and apparently the translation of the story he's telling is, when they found him, he had two bullets in the head and one in the ass. And reading that trivia, I was just like, oof, I do not want a bullet in my butt. Or my crotch either. Or my hip, that's a horrible place to get shot. Honestly, anywhere on my body, I do not want a bullet striking me. Now at the Mass Great Ball, we've got uh, Hartley drinking Terramana tequila at the bar, and I'll admit, I actually thought this would be much more obvious than it turned out to be, similarly, similarly to how Aviation Gin was used earlier on, but I still kind of think it was unnecessary to have the product placement here. And then we also have the, the, dance, the dance scene between Hartley and Bishop, dance between law enforcement and criminal, check. Then Hartley pickpockets Soto Voce's phone because they need that to break into his vault room. And then Hartley does some more profiling because he profiles Voce as a guy who's in a Napoleon complex who needs to assert his dominance. And Bruce is like, wow, what do you learn that? Profiler school? And Hartley says high school. And you also learn that Das is there and at the masquerade ball. And then Bruce bumps into Hartley and spills some wine. So that gives them the, the diversion they need to be able to uh, go head to the vault room and to get hack into the security system. But then, but, but then Bruce and Hartley end up bumping into, into each other for real, and Bruce drops his thumbprint that he needs to break into the vault, and so he's searching for the thumbprint and he does end up finding it. And I will say this, this whole thumbprint bit, even even when he's even when he's when he's rolling, when he's rolling so some friends onto his thumb, it just it totally reminds me of National Treasure, and even Ant Man had a similar kind of you know f faking a fungus, faking a fingerprints stick, and then just as they get past all of the all of the defenses, the number the number code and the facial and voice recognition, Doss ends up catching them, and Bruce is like, "We're work wives," and hardly objects to that. And then when, and then I also did, I also did like the moment when Hartley is pretending to arrest, is, is pretending to put Bruce in handcuffs, and Bruce is like, I love you, and Hartley says, I hate you. And then they, and then they end up, uh, breaking, breaking into the vault, leave, and leaving Doss outside, but unfortunately the bishop is also in the vault, and this leads up to a brawl between the three of them. And I will, and I will say, so, basically, uh, basically, you know, we're in the spoiler section, so we know that, at the end, it turns out that Hartley and Bishop have, uh, they were teaming up, they were working, they were working together in a romantic and professional sense this whole time. And it does make sense, actually, when you go, when you, when you watch the scene specifically, because as it progresses, uh, Dwayne Johnson and Gal Gadot aren't really, aren't really hitting each other, like, they're kind of, may maybe, like, shoving each other around a little, but they're not really doing any real damage to each other. Whereas, when Gal Gadot is going after Ryan Reynolds, she's really trying to take the hits on him. And really trying to, really just trying to knock him down. So I don't, so I do think you could kind of, you know, maybe pick up the clues here. Then, Bishop ends up handcuffing Hartley and Bruce together, and now Solo Roche is in the vault room. And then, when they're not, and then when they get when they get knocked out and they wake up, they're underneath a bullfighting stadium. And we learn that the bishop is actually working with Solo Boche. And we have this whole torturing scene where the bishop 
is apparently uh, sh shocking hardly. And, and and I will say that this scene actually does kind of confuse me because then again we know that at the end of the movie, Hartley and Bishop are working together. But the thing is, I think she was shocking. Uh, was she shocking him for real? Because she we 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 have the shots of her, you know, cranking up the dial, and from what I could tell, it seemed like she really was electrocuting him. I don't know unless maybe she wasn't, but I thought she was. Yeah, so, that, so so that's kind of confusing. And then I also do like the bit when she's singing downtown, and then just leads up to Boo saying that remarking that she that she's a good singer, and this is a, uh, this is obviously a jab at her cringy cover of John Lennon's Imagine. And Boo is like, we have a special bond, you know, in, in order to try to encourage the bishop to torture Hartley some more. But then Solo Forge comes in to strangle Hartley until Bruce reveals that he sure like is in Egypt because he says his, his mom was an Egyptologist. And then the bishop ends up betraying Solo Forge and giving him some, some sleeping medicine. And then Bruce and Hartley are apparently able to escape because when when Roche w woke up and he was just shooting all over the place, he apparently shot uh, Hartley's handcuffs. Although, of course, but later on, we learned that the bishop ended up giving Hartley the keys he needed to unlock his handcuffs. And then we also learned that Bruce lied. She showed egg is not in Egypt. And then they're getting, and then they end up making their way up to the bullfighting arena above. And like I said before, the CGI for this is pretty awful. I mean, even 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 the board itself. Like I don't know why you couldn't just get some some stock footage of the of the ball and just stick that into the movie rather than make up this whole CGI ball that just does not look real at all. And you can just and you, and you're just watching. Dwayne Johnson and Ryan Reynolds are playing playing off against what's clearly green screen. The arena, the arena, and the lighting is just so fake. So I will admit I did enjoy the Jurassic Jurassic Park banter here, where you know when when Bruce, when Bruce is like, "Don't don't move," they can they can sense motion, and Hartley is like, "No, you're thinking of T Rexes. That's from Jurassic Park," and Bruce is like, "No, no, no, no." It, this, this was a nature documentary. David Attenborough hosted it, and Hartley is like, "No, you're thinking of Richard Attenborough." And then, and then once he gets Bruce to realize that Jack Goldblum was in this so-called documentary, he was like, "Oh, oh right, it is Jurassic Park." And then they take a train ride, and on the and on this ride, Hartley reveals that his dad was a con man who left him, who uh, who just vanished on his thirteenth birthday. And he and his mom never saw the dad again, and now we have this whole uh, we have this whole dynamic between Hartley and Bruce, because Hartley is a cop with a crook father, and Bruce is a crook with a cop father, and again, like you know, I think the, the movie is trying to build up this character de de development for Bruce and Hartley, but I found it to be quite weak, and then we learned that Bruce's father was obsessed with finding rare antiquities, including a watch once owned by Rudolf Zeich, who was the personal art curator for Hitler. And and then we have this flashback, where, where, and I thought Ryan Reynolds was playing Bruce's father, 
in this flashback, but he was actually playing himself, so that was kind of confusing for a moment. And then, uh, and then, Booth smashes the watch that he fa that he was able to uncover after his father's death, and the watch actually has an inscription leading to a Nazi bunker in Argentina, where it's like fled with one of the eggs. And I, and I will say that actually, Ar this is a, a fact actually. Argentina, that was a place where a lot of Nazis took refuge. And in fact, there was a conspiracy theory that Hitler boarded a submarine and took it to Argentina, where he was able to die of old age. And then we can cut to Argentina. How did Hardy and Bruce travel all the way there from Valencia? Who knows? The movie doesn't show us, except for the train ride. But, I mean, I, I know they could have caught a ship across the ocean, but I don't know. I, w I would have liked to have seen just a, a small shot of that, just to know, just like know for a fact what route they took. And then even in the even in the jungles of Argentina, you can tell that it's running into the same old green screen soundstage problem, where it's just it's not real and it makes you crave the practical sets of tennis and other such examples. And and even in the scene, you know, Dwayne Johnson, he's wearing he, he he's wearing the exact same outfit pretty much that he wore in the Jumanji movies. And it just leaves me going, you know, where did they do the costume change? And then Hartley and Bruce are arguing for a bit because they get lost. And then Hartley throws down the compass and it makes this metallic noise. And they end up finding a secret entrance leading to an underground Nazi bunker. And as we're heading down the stairs, Bruce is whistling John Williams's Raiders March just to really drive home the Indiana Jones inspiration for this last segment. And then and then we have a bit where he bring where he brings out his father's watch, and it's been it's been repaired, and he has to use this as a key to open up a door, and again it's just like yeah this is exactly like that old pipe in National Treasure, and then there's there's a, a gag where Bruce sarcastically jokes that his watch is the one from Pulp Fiction, which I didn't really care for, and then he, yeah and then at when he put, when he puts in the watch as a key. He has to twist it in order to form the swastika on the door. And I'm just like, wow, this movie is featuring more Nazi imagery than I prefer. <laughs> and then now they're in the Nazi bunker, and I like the bit where, where Bruce is like, look for a box that says MacGuffin, with the eggs of Cleopatra, of course, being the MacGuffins for this whole paint-by-numbers heist. And then they find a Mercedes-Benz Grocer 770, and, oh yeah, I forgot to say, also, not, uh, some, some product placement for Mercedes as well. It's funny because Mercedes also got some more product placement in Shang-Chi. And Bruce is like, we, we have to burn it because it was owned by Nazis. And then I also learned from the trivia that in the scene when Hartley is focusing his light on a crate that's marked Top Secret Army Intel 9906753 Do Not Open, this crate number was actually on the crate that contained the Ark of the Covenant at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I feel like this, this is an homage that is much more sly and much less likely to induce an eyeball. And then just as Hartley and Bruce uncover the shirt egg, the bishop arrives, followed by an Interpol raid. There's some more gunfire here. Again, nobody actually gets shot. It falls into more of that harmless action movie violence and just forces Hartley, Bruce, and Bishop to hijack Mercedes and speed on out of there 
and then followed by Interpol, and then we head into a mine chase that pretty much steals what's from the Minecraft chase in terms of Doom, and even the mine chase in Fast and Furious, the fourth movie. Uh, it definitely reminds me a lot of that scene. And then we even have the whole satchel struggle in Red Notice, which again also borrows from the satchel struggle on the Fallen Bridge in Temple of Doom. And then in this scene is when Bruce is like, You love me like crazy! <laughs> and and then there's also one guy who gets smacked into a wall of the mine and flies off the car, and he definitely could not have su survived that. Of course, again, the movie never concretely shows any deaths, but still, it's just like, yeah, he, 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 would, have, he would not have been able to live past that point. And then, Hartley, Booth, and Bishop, they, they end up flying out of the waterfall, and... Again, and, and then we have this whole other part of the jungle that is also clearly a soundstage, and they all fall into the lake below, and and then Bruce makes it out first with the egg, and he's like, "You'll be missed," and he's about to leave, but then he but then he comes back for a bit, and then he finally goes back, returns to the lake for Hartley, but then it turns out Hartley is actually out of the lake already, and he walks in, and he's like, "Did he shoot me over the egg?" <laughs> and then the bishop emerges from the lake next, and. And then, Bo and then Bruce, I like the moment when Bruce puts his hand on Hartley's chest, followed by Hartley removing it, and Bruce, Bruce is like to B the bishop, checkmate! <laughs> but then it turns out, this is when we find out that the bishop and Hartley were cooperating the whole time, and it shows us a bunch of flashbacks to moments when they, when they were working together, and I consider this to be a lackluster twist. And I would say, like, I was expecting something to come along, because these heist movies always have these kind of twists and reveals, and so I was expecting something to throw me off, and I was, I, I predicted that it would be either Bruce working with Bishop, or Hartley working with, with Bishop. And, I don't know, just like back in the movie, it's like, okay, so the Bishop was alerting Doss to Hartley and Bruce's whereabouts, but it's like, why do you have to do that? I just felt like that was unnecessary, and it was just thrown in as a plot contrivance. And then it also makes it confusing as to who is the protagonist, because at first, we're supposed to think that it's Bruce and Hartley working together, but then, once Hartley and- once it's revealed that Hartley and the Bishop have been a team, then I suppose it makes- it, it, and I suppose it makes Bruce the one who's been screwed over, and the one that who, who, with whom we're supposed to sympathize. So I guess Bruce is supposed to be the protagonist, but I didn't feel like that for the whole movie. I think, uh, for me, Hartley was the protagonist, but then now it switches over to Bruce at the end. And, I don't know, it just feels like this whole wobble back and forth between who is supposed to be the protagonist and who we're supposed to root for, and... It's just like, okay, so are we supposed to root for all three of them? Are we supposed to root for just, for just Hartley? I also found it kind of cheesy when Hartley is like, Oh, uh, the bishop and I, we're both, we're, we're both two bishops, because there are two bishops on the board. And I also, want to I also want to point out, there are actually four bishops on the board, two on each side. And, and then there's a moment when, when Bruce drops an F-bomb, and 
I would say, I, I, I like it when these PG-13 movies are able to find just the right moment to drop an F-bomb, because you can, PG-13 movies can only drop one F-bomb, and it has to be in a non-sexual manner. And I do feel like Red Notice picks a perfect moment here, when Bruce is having his mind blown by the revelation that Hardly has uh, double-crossed him. And then Hardly handcuffs Bruce to a tree, and then he, and then he, he reveals that everything he, he said about his dad was true, he wasn't lying about that about his dad being a con man, and how he wanted to be an even better con man than his father, and I guess I will say, there's, there's something kind of interesting about Hartley being such a master con artist, that he was able to deceive everyone, including Bruce, into thinking he was a good guy, and he's working for the FBI, but I don't think this movie executes it all that well. And then we move on to Cairo, where there's some stereotypically Egyptian imagery that I could have done without, and Hartley and the bishop have handed over the three eggs to the Egyptian billionaire, and they get the three hundred million dollars. And the and the buyer ends up giving the three eggs to his daughter for a wedding again. Her name because her name is Cleopatra. So get it because Mark Antony he gave the three eggs to Cleopatra, and now we have another guy giving his daughter Cleopatra the three eggs. And the thing is, she does not care about the eggs at all. However, she is way more excited by the sight of Ed Sheeran performing at a wedding. And I would say it was actually pretty fun to see him have a cameo in this movie. And even when the, when the Interpol raid comes in, and he's getting arrested, and he's like, I was in Game of Thrones, and he's fighting with his guitar, I would say that was actually pretty delightful to watch. And then we cut to Hartley and Bishop going on vacation in Sardinia six months later. But then, it turns out that Bruce is on the boat with them, and he tells them that he told Doss about the $300 million that they got from the billionaire, and Doss throws the account, the Cayman Islands account, that they put the money in, and Bruce goes on to inform them that Interpol is on their way to capture them, but he's like, hey, we, we, have, a, we have a chance to get out of here, as long as you join me on this heist, because this heist needs three people to execute it. And I did, I did, I did like the bit when Gal Gadot is like, that's not cheese, that's uncooked pork. <laughs> and then of course, we can't forget the moment when Hartley says, you know what I think is funny? And Bruce replies, Vin Diesel's audition tape for cats? It exists. <laughs> and I'm just thinking to myself, Wait, is this real? Because, uh, from, so from what I've heard, Ryan Reynolds did improv this line. You know, which is of course, you know, improv has, that's his whole stick. And, but I, I'm just like, this, this feels like a meta joke. Almost as if he's convincing the audience that, hey, this actually does exist. It's out there. And I don't know, I mean, I've heard of weirder things happening in Hollywood. Even the official Netflix account on Twitter tweeted about this bit. And remember, Vin Diesel did come out with that song, Feel Like I Do, last year. So, you know, who knows? He, I guess he could have he geared himself up for some sing, singing in Cats if he really wanted to. And the joke also has some bite to it because of the antagonism between Vin Diesel and Dwayne Johnson. And there's also that whole uh, plea that Vin Diesel made on Instagram when he's trying to, you know, encourage uh, Dwayne Johnson to return to the Fast and Furious franchise. So, yeah. I, I, I definitely think this whole, this whole bit with Vin Diesel's audition tape for cast is probably one of my favorite jokes in the movie, if, if not my favorite. 
And then the movie ends with the with Bruce, Hartley, and the Bishop teaming up to pull off a heist at the Louvre. And yeah, that's it. And uh, again, I do feel like this is an implausible ending, just because if I were in Bruce's position, I wouldn't really want to be. I wouldn't be willing to team up with Hartley and Bishop, because I, I mean, they they left Bruce to die in Argentina. They they left him handcuffed to that tree, and it's, and it's only because Das and Interpol found him that you know he was able to escape. And I just don't feel like it would be realistic for Bruce to want to team up with his rivals. And I mean, obviously, obviously, it's it's being set up in this artificial manner so that we can have the sequels. But also, it's like, why why don't why why does it have to be set up, set up in this fashion? Why can't Bruce be trying to outdo the Bishop and Hartley's heist? They don't have to be working as a team, all three of them. Uh, but whatever, I mean, I'll watch the sequels when they come out. But again, like I said before, I'm not going to have high expectations for them. And so that's the movie. And yeah, so, so there's some more trivia I have. For example, I found that apparently Nic- Nicolas Cage, Tom Cruise, and Keanu Reeves were all considered for roles in Red Notice, with The Rock recommending the Cage-ster. And then, oh, and, and it's funny that Ryan Reynolds and Dwayne Johnson are in Red Notice because they've actually been in a couple movies before. Albeit the connection between them is pretty small because there's Hobbs and Shaw, where Ryan Reynolds had a, a bit role in that, and then there's Free Guy, in which Dwayne Johnson had a cameo. It's not like they were the equal co-stars of those movies, though. And it also turns out that some of the cast and crew of Red Notice believed that Cleopatra's eggs were really treasures, even though they were just invented by Ross and Marshall Zerber. Which is kind of funny, because, I don't know, just watching this movie, I was thinking to myself, oh yeah, Cleopatra's eggs are clearly made up. But, I, I don't know, I, I guess some people believe they were real. And Zerber had a cameo in this movie as well. He played exhausted film director in bar. That's his credit. So that's my breakdown of Red Notice. Again, this is a very formulaic movie, and honestly, if it weren't for Ryan Reynolds' humor pumping things up, this would have been a complete dud. So now let's move on to Good Word, the segment where I can recommend a book, a movie, a podcast, music, etc. And what I'm going to recommend today is a different Netflix product, Passing, which takes place in Harlem, in 1929, and it focuses on two black women who were childhood friends and they end up running into each other. And one of them is is black, but she's light skinned enough so that she can actually pass as white. And so she just she just lives life as a white woman. And even her even her extremely racist husband, played by Alexander Skarsgård, believes she's white. The movie is based on the novella by. By Nella Larson, and I personally enjoyed the movie very much. And I've actually read the novella too, and I like that as well. And I just I enjoyed the way that this movie is able to adapt to source material, and it explores racial ambiguity, and the and the way that you know people can pass not just in terms of race, but also in life in general, like trying try, trying to pass in order to fit into society, and the lead performances given by Tessa Thompson and Ruth Negga are incredible, and I also appreciate that this is Rebecca Hall's directorial debut, and I don't know, I I just think she's someone who is pretty underrated in Hollywood, despite her talent, and 
I'm just glad that she's able to, you know, ex expand her work and get get a bit more recognition. And even if even if you just look up, you know, so research that she's done into what turned out to be her biracial family history and just the complications with that, and I found that to be quite fascinating. And the way that it, and the way that that translates into passing, she cinematography for the movie is splendid too, and I definitely can see why this is garnering awards buzz. Again, that's Passing. Make sure to check it out on Netflix. It's much better than Red Notice, that's for sure. As for the socials, you can find this podcast on Twitter at 2 underscore sense critic, and you can follow my personal Twitter account at author underscore ant18. You can go on my blog at 2sensecritic.com. If you want to email me, you can do that at email 2 sensecritic at yahoo.com. And make sure you subscribe to this podcast and rate and review it wherever you listen to podcasts. And especially make sure you go to iTunes and give a review there because it would, it would, it would definitely help the numbers for this podcast climb algorithm waves. Until next time, stay healthy and stay strong.